welcome to a novel evening. I'm Danny, and this is the podcast where I chat with fellow book lovers all about their perfect fictional night. And I am joined by Annie Garthwaite, author of the incredible Cecily. Um, I'm sure you will have seen it all over your feeds. It's got the most striking cover, um, and it's got the words mother, wife, politician, traitor, survivor, fighter emblazoned across it. And it is a retelling of the War of the Roses from a perspective that I don't feel we hear very often. Um, She's a character um, and one of the players in the War of the Roses who I think doesn't quite get her due. And in this novel, I think Cecily, of course, the House of York, is brought to the fore. Um, Without giving anything away, I highly recommend it. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. And I am very, very excited to chat with Annie all about it and all about her novel evening. So a massive hello to Annie. Hi. Hi, lovely to meet you. And you. It's oh, it's beautiful, isn't it? Finally, it feels like, I don't know where you are in the country. Um. <laughs> oh, we live in, we're in the middle of rural Shropshire. So I'm, I'm stuck on the side of a hillside in rural Shropshire. It's wow. just beautiful today. It's oh, the most perfect wow. time of year, isn't it? Everything is so green and so verdant. And, the garden. and there's a little breeze. That's my favourite. There's still a little bit of a breeze. It's not completely melting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we haven't had any sun, really. I'm down in Devon and oh. everywhere else seemed to have a heat wave. And we had rain. Oh, no. Are you near the sea? I am. I can see the sea out of my window. Yeah, I'm oh, very close. I'm jealous of that. Oh, I'm, I've always grown up by the sea. I've always lived by the sea, so I take it completely for granted. Completely. <laughs> oh, we, we live at the point in England that's pretty, probably pretty much as far from the sea as you can be. And oh, my, my partner and I both sea kayak, which is, that's our hobby. So that's ridiculous. We have to drive hours to get to the sea. <laughs> but that's a good reason to go to the sea. It's a good reason to have to go, because I know lots of my friends who don't live by that. Well, we just never go. Yeah, I know. You've got a good excuse. But yeah, thank you so, so much. I am so excited to chat all about Cecily. Uh, I loved it. Thank you. Fantastic. Um, And as I was saying, such a character that you don't read about. You don't hear about Cecily. And she's such an integral part of the story of York. I know, I know. And it's the whole thing about the Wars of the Roses generally, I think, that whole period, you know, which, which historians are still beating themselves up about and arguing over what happened and who did what and why they did what and and most of their confusion is because they ignore what the women are doing because once you understand you know they just look at what the guys are doing but once you understand what the women are up to and what their motivations are the actions of the men make a lot more sense Mm. you know and once you understand where Cecily is coming from Richard Duke of York's career just falls into place you know you understand him and how he got to where he got to I love that now there's obviously a lot of fiction out there about the war of the roses was it quite daunting to do a a novel about it yeah it was absolutely terrifying yes (laughs) (laughs) and I also did think to myself you know does the world need another novel about the wars of the roses you know probably not but does it need does the world need a novel about Cecily Neville and I absolutely yes, because I think what happened with Cecily is that, you know, when I started getting interested in the women around the Wars of the Roses, Cecily was really hard to get a grip on. You know, mm-hmm. she, she you couldn't she was hard to find out very much about it. So 
course, I went looking in Shakespeare, which seems like the logical place to start. And in Shakespeare, she's just old and pious and grumpy and dull and she doesn't have much to say. She doesn't have any power or agency and nobody's listening to her. So I think for the last 500 and odd years, everyone's gone, oh, yeah, well, that's Cecily Neville. She's a bit old, she's a bit boring, she's a bit pious, she's a bit dull. Let's move on to someone more interesting. Oh, look how sexy Elizabeth Woodville is. Let's <laughs> talk about her, you know. Yes. So I think that's what's happened. I think she's got a bum rap from Shakespeare, just like her son did, oddly. Yeah. Um, but she was, you know, she's the most intriguing of them all. When you think about it, she was the only major protagonist of the Wars of the Roses to survive them right from the beginning to the very, very end. The only one. And for and at every point in that 80 years of tumultuous history, she was right in the middle of the power struggle where it was all happening. How can we ignore her? You know, she's amazing. It is. It's so funny. And the only place I've ever read about her, I think it was in a Philippa Gregory book. Um, and I don't think she was portrayed particularly nicely. I think she no. was, for lack of a better term, a bit of a bitch. In it. <laughs> and that seems to be what she was kind of sort of classed as, wasn't she? And it's so nice to see her as a, you know, she was a young girl who became a woman, who became a mother and a wife and, and just happened to be in the midst of this, you know, this war. It's incredible. Yeah. yeah. And she's, the thing I was most anxious to do is not to make a heroine out of her, not to make her a romantic historical fiction heroine, but not to make her, you know, the baddie, the bitch. Yeah. You know, she's a woman like you and I are. She's got good things and bad things. She's deeply flawed, you know. She does some things that make you go, oh, Cecily, are you really going to do that? You know, you know? and yet because she's like we are, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that, that that's the most interesting thing to do with fiction. When we just start creating goodies and baddies mm -hmm. and nice people and bad people, it becomes really, really boring. But it's the excitement and the tension comes when, when people reflect the reality of flawed personalities, you know? Yeah, and really at that, at that time, there wasn't really anyone to root for, as it were, you know? nobody really had a better more valid reason than the other to be you know it was kind of they were all just humans doing what humans do and trying to take power and control and yeah. I think I think that's why it probably fascinates us so much still yeah you know to this day yeah yeah I remember when I was I was writing the book when I was doing an MA at Warwick a creation wow. MA and we, we workshop various chapters of it, you know, with the group. And I remember there was this wonderful Italian woman in, in my workshop group. She was brilliant. She was very, very Italian, you know. And one day she just leapt out of her chair and she just said, oh, she said, Cecily is terrible. I love her. <laughs> and I like, yeah, that's exactly the reaction I want people to have. <laughs> I love that. I love that. How did you discover Cecily? Where did this idea come from? Started in school. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It was. I grew up reading historical fiction with my mum, you know, Jean Clady and Georgia Hare and you know, yeah. all the usual suspects, really. And then in school, I was just lucky enough to have an absolutely fabulous history teacher. You know, I went to a really very ordinary comprehensive school in the northeast of England but I had this great teacher and he just taught history like it was happening yesterday wow. you know, he was just brilliant and I was it was Wars of the Roses on the syllabus and I was 
hooked. I was just gripped. So I don't think he's ever had a student that was interested in his subject before, you know, mostly they, mostly they were asleep. So, so he just kept lobbing books at me and I was just reading everything. And he gave me a novel called We Speak No Treason, which is about Richard III. And it's quite romantic, but it's beautifully written. I really recommend it. And I was 15, you know, and my teenage heart was ready for the whole thing. And I fell passionately in love with Richard III, who was my big teenage crush, you know. So when everyone else was having... I know, when everyone else had, you know, was having their crush on Donny Osmond or David Cassidy, I was having mad on Richard III. <laughs> and then I grew out of it, of course. But And then I got... But I stayed interested in, in, in him and in the period, but I got more interested in the women, you know, because they were just such barnstorming women around at that time so by the time I was in my 20s I had decided that I would one day write this book about Cecily so I made myself a promise that when I was 55 I would give up the day job and I would write the book I love that that's so that's so bold I love it (laughs) it's a bit of a long-term plan (laughs) you set yourself a a little while until you had to do it (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Got to earn a living first. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that you did it and you got it. You can hold it. That must be so surreal. Oh, it's completely surreal. I, mean, I still, you know, pinch me. I'm, I am still expect to wake up in the shower and discover it's all been a dream. You know, a bit like Dallas. <laughs> yeah. And he oh, just goes, go back to the day job. Oh, no. You know, but yeah. Oh, that's so inspirational. I love that you... I love that you as a teenager had this idea I was very into history as a teenager and obviously it wasn't really the done thing um to be into history and into school and interested in things um and yeah the war of the roses for me I read the other billing girl yeah when I was about 15 16 very similar and young Henry VIII was my like pin-up um and suddenly realizing these people were real you know you read about them and then you think these aren't characters these real people yeah absolutely isn't it and you know that that whole period was the roses the early years of the Tudors you know the characters are just so larger than life aren't they you know Henry VIII the 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 young god who becomes the tyrant you know it's just brilliant isn't it and you know Edward IV you know who Mm -hmm. fights his way to the throne at age of 18 you know, it's, I mean, it's just such dramatic stuff. Warwick the Kingmaker who turns his coat twice, if not three times, you know. It's oh, it's just so dramatic. It's got everything you'd ever want in a, in a soap opera. You know, you've got sex and intrigue and murder and betrayal. And, you know, there's a bit of incest thrown in there with uncles and nieces. It's got everything, but it's real. Yeah, it's real. It's just fantastic, isn't it? It's crazy. And I'm thinking for your novel evening, Maybe we're going to have a little touch of history in there. Yeah, we're, we're, it's entirely history. Oh, yeah, yeah it is. That. Yeah, I thought we'd get some of these great medieval women together. Oh, I'm, I'm very, very excited. Uh, that sounds like my cup of tea, for sure. Where are we going to meet? Where are we going to set up this evening? Well, we're going to do it at Cecily's home in Fotheringay. Oh, in yes. Fotheringay Castle. It's on the banks of the River Neen, so we'll be in the Great Hall. The castle doesn't exist anymore, but 
in our world it does matter. it does yeah anything goes so we're yeah. going to go back to her time to her castle yeah. so we're going to be in the great hall the view from the window will be the whole sweep of the river Neen going down towards the church that Cecily built with Richard and that's where we're going to be on a summer evening early summer evening nice. yeah getting to watch the sun go down as the evening stretches and yeah yeah I love that it's yeah. so sad isn't it all of these incredible castles and palaces that are now lost to us I know it's the uh, Fotheringay is particularly heartbreaking. I think. Yeah. I mean, the survive, but the castle is, you know, there's there's a rock about four feet. Oh, that's all that's left. <laughs> it's so sad, isn't it? I think whenever you hear like just like non such palace, you hear about that and what. Just I would love to see it. How has it gone? That's what I, I think. Know. How did these these places go? Like what you know, it's it's madness. Just. Mm. Yeah, it was, I have to imagine it now, uh, as you've written it in your book, so we can we can picture it. Who's the first person that we're going to welcome? Well, Cecily's going to be our hostess. Of course. That felt important. And I thought, I thought we should make this a bit of a family party. Ooh. So, Cecily's going to be there. And her mum, Joan Borfitt. Yes. And her very famous grandmother. Catherine Swinford. Yes. Who was, Ooh. I mean, she's just fascinating, isn't she? You know, for so many years, she was the mistress of John of Gaunt and then finally became his wife. Do you know that story? I know, not as much as I should know. Um, I kind of know bits. I oh. tend to kind of go forward through the Tudors and the War of the Roses rather than back. Um, but yeah, I did know she was, you know, she was a mistress, wasn't she? Who... Yes, she was a complete nobody. And they had a long-term love affair for, you know, several years. And she had four children by him. Yeah. Who, when eventually they did, they did marry, when they were both in their 50s, and he, I think he only survived the marriage by about, he died two years after they were married, so they didn't have that long together. Wow. But when they married, their four children, were, who were obviously legitimate, yeah. were legitimised and wow. given the name Beaufort. And that's where the Beauforts come from. Wow. I so mean, all that trouble in the novel with Henry Beaufort and Edmund Beaufort and all the rest yeah. of it. It's, yeah. So it, it really brings it home, doesn't it, that the whole Wars of the Roses was a family squabble. You know, it's exactly it fighting with her. With yeah, her the family. Nevilles and the Beauforts. It was, you know, and then the Tudors got thrown into the mix, but it really was just a big family feud, wasn't it? Yeah, there's a historian friend of mine who says actually the Wars of the Roses was much less about Lancaster and York. Mm. It was really about the Nevilles and the Beauforts, mm. you know. Yeah, it really was. And those it runs deep, doesn't it? Those bitter ties, they run so deep. And it'd be interesting to see those three women together. Yeah. So I thought we'd have those. And then I thought we'd have an overseas visitor. So Cecily's daughter, Margaret, her youngest daughter, married Charles of Burgundy. Yeah. She went off to live in Burgundy. So let's pretend she's come over to visit. Because she's a fascinating woman. She married Charles and she never had children with him. And he died while she was relatively young. Yeah. And she effectively ruled Burgundy yeah. after his death because he had a he had a daughter by an earlier marriage. And the daughter Marion had that daughter became very good friends. 
Yeah. Firstly, uh, Mary was really a mother to Margaret was really a mother to her. Yeah. And Margaret engineered her marriage to the Holy Roman Emperor. Yeah. And made her incredibly powerful. So Margaret's absolutely a chip off the old block. Yeah. These are women way ahead of their time, aren't they? So, you know, a mistress becoming a wife and having her children legitimised was always unheard of, wasn't it, really? Especially in those circles. Yeah. And then, as you say, a woman sort of ruling. Yes. It didn't happen. No, didn't happen. So I thought she'd have to come. Oh, yeah. And then I thought we'd... Because we're concertinaing time here, aren't we? So we yeah. can all these women together. So I thought we'd have to have one of your lot because you're such a Tudor supporter. So... <laughs> Cecily's granddaughter, Elizabeth of York, who married Henry oh, Just, yeah. There's something about her as well, I think, because you know so little about her. Yeah. And her, there's so many rumours, isn't there, you know, with her yeah. uncle and what was happening there, you know, with her young brothers as well. And, oh, yeah, so many questions. And what did she know about her brothers? You know, there's a exactly. whole history there. So I thought she'd have to come. And then, of course, you can't not have Elizabeth the first. No. Who is Cecily's great-granddaughter? When you think about it and you think about that family tree and that line and the women yes. in that line, they were just, just ahead of themselves, weren't they? Just unreal. And Elizabeth I, you know, was, was fortunate enough to be born at that moment when it was conceivable for a woman to rule yeah. England. But she was no more nor less capable of it than... Cecily would have been or perhaps Joan or you know so yeah and you look at her sister before her with you know Mary the first she didn't do brilliantly bless her heart um and she really had you know she had a lot to prove Elizabeth didn't she yeah yeah a lot to prove and you know the vulnerability of her position is just terrifying I think I'd have to ask her about her mother that would be I, I adore Anne Boleyn um She's a bit of an obsession of mine. I'd have to ask her, you know, what does she remember? Yeah, what do you remember? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's wonderful, isn't it? And whenever people say to me, what do you think Edward IV was like? I always say, have a look at Henry VIII. Yeah. Because I think they're so similar. Yeah. I think they're so similar. Physically, I think they're very similar. Mm. You know, we don't have much portraiture. Edward that's very representative really yeah. but we do with Henry but all the physical descriptions that we have of Edward are you know just, they're, they're yeah. just well they were golden men weren't they? they were you know golden boys who became golden men I think unfortunately they were people who when you're not told no <laughs> yeah you're told everything you do is just wonderful and bestowed by God yeah that's what you're gonna get the yeah. women didn't have that no I mean, imagine, imagine Edward the Fourth. You know, he's eighteen years old. He's bigger than everybody else. He's taller than everybody else. He's won every battle he's ever fought. He looks like a god. He's tripping over women who want to sleep with him. You know, so it's going to go just... to your head a little bit, isn't it? Yes, <laughs> and he's eighteen, and the testosterone <laughs> is tearing around his body. No one's ever told him no. No one's ever told him he can't have anything. He thinks he can have everything. That's the difference between the men and the women. The men, it's like a gift. It's handed to them. It's their birthright. The women have to really fight tooth and nail for everything they get that is theirs. 
Yes. And you know, I sometimes think that hasn't changed too much in the last 500 years. You know, and, and women's positions were so precarious because nothing was really yours. Nothing couldn't be taken away from you, really. So for these women who managed to have you know, power and money of their own right and thrones of their own right, it's just unreal. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's one of the great... That's one of the key things I wanted to say in the in the Cecily novel really is about how vulnerable life was in that time, how everything could be lost on the turn of a coin, you know. And there comes a point for Cecily, you know, if if Henry the Sixth had been a good king, <laughs> I think Richard Duke of York and Cecily would have been perfectly happy to yeah. serve him faithfully be the most powerful duke in England, serve the king, maybe get lucky enough to die in his bed. Yeah. But Henry VI was an appalling king, as we know, and that became a direct threat to Cecily and Richard. And, and, you know, there comes a point where you've got a really stark choice, which is you are either going to take power Mm. or the people who have the power are going to destroy you. Yeah. And they will destroy you utterly. Mm. so faced with that choice what are you going to do yeah it isn't a choice isn't I think back then life and death as well they went so hand in hand Mm. you know I think making life or death decisions we don't have to really do that these days but then that was your choice it really was you know and back then if you had everything taken from you that, that was death wasn't it essentially yeah you know if you were attainted oh you lost everything by the clothes you stood up in and you had no place at all in society. Well, what are you going to do? Hearing these women together would just be, would just be incredible. Yeah, I think it'd be great, don't you? Oh my word, yeah. I love it, especially in this setting. I think we're all going to sit and talk and hear their stories. Do you have anyone else coming? Is it just these women of the, the family? I did play with the idea of adding a little spice and get Margaret of Anjou to turn Ooh. up for coffee. <laughs> oh, what a woman she was as well. I mean, I know Henry was an appalling king, but my word, she was a strong woman. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I often think that, you know, obviously Margaret, Marguerite and Cecily rub up against each other and die yeah. the wrong way. But I often think, you know, they're so alike. You know, yeah. you couldn't put a bus ticket between them for for pride, for ambition, for intelligence, for just gutsiness. You yeah. know, they're both so gutsy. But Marguerite was dealt such an appalling hand of cards. Awful. Can you imagine? French queen married to Henry VI, baron, apparently, for so long. Yeah. What 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 are you going to do? I think had Henry been a different man and a different king that she'd been married to, I think her and her and Cecily would have been the closest of friends. Yeah, me too. Completely. Me too. Yeah. It was it was awful. I really feel whenever I read about poor poor Marguerite, I just think she she had no luck. No, no luck. And I mean, she in some ways she was her own worst enemy. You know, she made some terrible decisions that you know didn't have to be made really but she just 
it was just such terrible misfortune uh you know yeah she really had to fight tooth and nail for everything as well I feel like they didn't really the English didn't really want her either you know French they didn't really want her you know there was rumors about her and the parentage of her son and you know it's and it's really sad because I think it's highlights a lot as well that these women at, at different points were kind of friends or acquaintances and then they were enemies and then they were kind of trying to rebuild friendships and then they were enemies again and that's it's really fascinating how these women are kind of around the outside of the men trying to kind of reach their own terms while the yeah. men are just fighting yeah 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 that's right and, and <laughs> a bit later on the whole relationship between Cecily and Margaret Beaufort is fascinating I think because they oh. were very good friends yeah you know they, they, they were certainly on very good terms mm. right up into the point where Margaret betrays her Margaret Beaufort is a character that for me and a you know figure for me I just can't get on board with her and I find it really hard because I think she was very clever and I think she probably has been dealt a bad hand in how she's been portrayed um and I think she tried her best to kind of rein both Henry's in a little bit once they got a bit of power to not much avail with Henry VIII unfortunately but I she'd be someone I would quite actually like to speak to and find out who she really was yeah 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 and everyone assumes you know the easy assumption is that that she was always plotting to put Henry her son on the throne right from the very get-go I don't actually believe that she was so young when she had him as well so young 13 yeah she was 12 when she conceived him 13 when he was born it was just I mean even by the standards of the day that was shocking and but I think that she you know, he was in exile and I think she wanted him restored to his mm-hmm. earldom of Richmond that Henry VI had given him. Mm-hmm. And I think she fought really hard for that. And I think she would have settled for that. I don't think the idea that he could one day be king had really, really dawned on her through all of those years when York was so dominant. But once the Yorks, the House of York began to totter, she thought, oh, hang on a minute yeah that's what you can't imagine can you imagine people making these choices and having these realizations that actually you know your son could take the throne you can't imagine it now it's and I think but I think that came to her quite late in the game that idea idea, you know as 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 Richard III's reign began to go in an entirely direction I think she thought oh my oh my and it's women as well women are you know back then especially women could use the gossip they could use the stories and they could they had you know they couldn't go on the battlefield and they couldn't fight but I think women could turn the tide you know the stories about Richard and his niece and you know with his nephews and you know it's hunched back and you know all of that that was something women could spread yeah yeah and I think my absolute belief, I mean, everyone always says that there's a great propagandist behind Edward IV's reign right from the get-go, and there is, because he is clearly, you know, in its early years, the House of York is a master, masterful in propaganda. The only realistic candidate I can see for that role is Cecily. Yeah. It's none of the blokes. None of the blokes <laughs> are that clever at that point. I mean, it's not Richard Neville, is it? 
no, that wasn't. I don't think that was their way, was it? I don't think. I don't think they'd ever consider that what people thought of them would be important because strength and power came from conquering and fighting and winning battles. Whereas I think women have always known that you know it's the word of the people. It's what people think of you that yeah. matters. I love it. I just think and to have these women together. That's a wonderful, you know, we've got very few physical um, representations of Cecily or what she looked like, but I came across one that is just fascinating to me. And it's thought that, that it was commissioned by Cecily to go into a book of hours that she gave as a gift to her mother. And it's thought that she uh, commissioned it when she was in France in 1431, when she saw yeah. John of Arc so, so when she was very young. And in this picture, and they, they appear in this prayer book, and there's two pictures on opposite pages like this. And this picture shows Cecily's mother, Joan, kneeling in prayer, you know, the way they always do. Yeah. And all her daughters ranked behind her in prayer. And the other one shows Cecily's dad and all her, his sons ranked yeah. behind him in prayer. Now, Cecily was the youngest of 13 daughters. <laughs> in, this, in this picture, she is right at the front immediately behind her mother almost chipping on her hem and all the other sisters are behind her and she has by far the best frock on and by far the best jewels and it's just you know she, even then she's mastering propaganda and she's saying you know don't for one minute think that I'm not the most important woman in the room yeah she knew her worth which I just love I think yeah. all of these women knew their worth yeah um at a time when women weren't considered to be worth very much which yeah. I think is just it's just incredible um I love I love your choice of women who are going to be there um I think it would make make me very emotional I don't know about you but uh I'd feel very emotional trying to talk to them is there anybody who absolutely cannot come to your we're not, having any, we're not having any of those two men there no um, oh can you imagine no, this is definitely a women-only event, but and, uh, definitely anyone called Henry and Tudor is not coming in. <laughs> no Henrys, no Edwards. <laughs> I completely agree. And I think is you can imagine them coming in with their, you know, their boots covered in mud and stomping into the hall and drinking yeah. too much. We don't want any of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And their balls swinging because they're so important, right? Oh, yeah. exactly. Oh, you can imagine it, can't you? That's, I don't think that's changed now, to be honest with you. <laughs> no. No, 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 no. If they arrive at the door, is your name Tudor? No, bugger off. You're not coming in. <laughs> yeah. Female only. I completely agree. Um, I love it. Big round table. No one's at the head of the table. We're all sat in a big circle, mm. sharing stories and eating really good food. Well, with that bunch of women, you couldn't possibly have a head of the table because the, the rows that would go on about who got yes. this in that slot, yeah, that would start another war, probably. <laughs> it would. And I feel like a war cultivated between women would be far scarier mm. than anything yeah. the men could come up with. I mean, I love it. I, I thank you so much for sharing as well. There's so many figures that I'm going to have to go back. I didn't, you know, and read more about... Um, completely especially Catherine Swinford I'm gonna have to have I'll to... recommend a novel to you it's called it's called Catherine okay it's by Anya Seaton it was written I think in the late 50s early 60s so it's an old wow one. but it's absolutely 
fabulous oh, I will have to read it okay I will absolutely check that out and I was meant to ask you as well before I, before I ask you about your current read what comes next after Cecily are you working on anything yes there's oh there's a big debate going on about which I have two books wow and there's a debate going on at the moment about which one will come first and oh, it's yes yeah that's very exciting yeah yeah, oh. it's probably going to be um, Isabella of France. <sighs> yes. Edward II's way. So it's probably yeah. going to be her. But I also do want to come back to Cecily's world. Because there's, yeah. So there's, there's two books there. And Amazing. There's so many. I think that's the thing with this. There's so many women that you can, you can delve into the life of at that time. They were so fascinating. And I know there's, you know, Elizabeth Chadwick's written some amazing books. Um, there's some stunning books about Eleanor of Aquitaine and Elizabeth Woodville. And, but also with the lords and the ladies, there's some really fascinating figures yes. all across Europe as well. It was such a time. Well, you know, and Isabella, you know, the queen consort who deposes her own husband, you know, you've got, that's a story that's got to be told, isn't it? It has to be. And I feel like it was these women that in the eyes of men gave women a bad name mm. you know whereas actually you know and I think there was a long thing wasn't there right up till probably recently of you know you've got to watch your back with women and women aren't to be trusted and you can't have women in political meetings because I think men were threatened well and you've always got with medieval history as well you've got to, the, the people who were writing the chronicles at the time which of course became the histories they were men but yeah. they weren't just men, they were clerical men, they were mostly monks. So they didn't know any women. They probably didn't like them terribly much and they thought that they were the root of all sin in the world. So it's no wonder that women got a bad rap. <laughs> we did not fare well, did we? <laughs> With history and how we're portrayed. And, but I think, I genuinely think these women were just, just the lives they had to lead and the things they had to overcome were just incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whatever uh, comes next, I am incredibly excited. I will be reading straight away. Good. <laughs> I cannot wait. I love it. And before I, I let you go and enjoy the rest of your Sunday, I have to ask you if you're reading anything at the moment. Well, I've got an absolute corker to recommend to you. It's, it's, so good um it was sent to me as a proof by its publisher and it's coming out in july mm. and it's by a lady called catherine chen c-h-e-n she's yeah. an american novelist but it's being published in the states and here simultaneously i think wow. and it's called joan and it's about joan of arc ah. Yes. It's fantastic. Is I it? love it. Yeah, it's really great. Because the publisher said, you know, can I send you this book? I said, oh, yeah, John of Arc. I burnt her in chapter one. Marvellous. <laughs> I've not read anything about Joan of Arc either, I don't think. I don't think I've ever read a novel that's about her. It's, it's really good. Oh, wow. It, I really, really, really recommend it. It's excellent. It's going straight on my list. It sounds, yeah. it sounds so good. Yeah, look out for it coming out in can't remember when in July, but it's definitely in July. July. Oh, I shall uh, I will absolutely keep my eyes peeled because that sounds so good. For a young woman who did not live for very long, 
the things she did were just... And this novel is such a creative leap of imagination because, you know, it's always puzzled me in my mind, you know, how does a French peasant girl end up leading the army of France? How, how on earth could that have happened, you know? if we assume that she wasn't assisted by God, you know? Yes. <laughs> How did that happen? And, and I just, you know, it makes my brain fry. I can't conceive of how that happened. But Catherine Chen can and has, and it's extraordinary. Oh my goodness. I'm gonna, that's gonna go straight up on my list. I need to read that. I can't wait. And thank you for that recommendation. And the writing is beautiful too. It's really good. Yes, that sounds absolutely my cup of tea. That is, I'm very excited. You can see by my face. Obviously, people can only hear this, but I'm like, this sounds so good. But thank you so, so much. This has just been so much fun. A complete pleasure. Thank you very much. (laughs) Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.